0: Welcome to the Mystic Access Podcast, where the magic is in learning. Hi everyone, welcome to the October 20th edition of the Mystic Access Podcast. He's Chris. She's Kim. We have a really fun interview for you today. And that's going to be something a little different. We get to go back into the castle for the first time in a little bit and talk to some people who were very interesting and had a very interesting product but we'll tell you more about that later first and foremost though we have some major announcements that we need to talk to you all about and we encourage you not to tune these out because they are important particularly if you participate with us at all in any of our live gatherings so starting out with live virtual gatherings chris tell us about the october free event
1: we are going to talk about different strategies that you can use for daily living skills. For example, do you really need an alcalza enabled dishwasher or washing machine?
0: Uh-oh, I hear one going off. We'll and have she- to make that work in post so that doesn't happen to the rest of you. <laughs>
1: yeah. She wants to talk to me now, but we'll just ignore her for a while. But what we're going to do is we're going to talk about different ways that you can you know just daily living skills
0: and it's not going to be boring don't worry this isn't like oh you need to gain independence because of course you do but this is about how you do it and different strokes for different folks type thing so we're going to talk about various methods that are available for you various tools that may be available for you and a client kind of inspired this topic because this person contacted us with a question and Chris and I got to talking about it and thought you know hmm this entire topic could be something that a lot of people found potentially very interesting and very helpful and we would love to know your thoughts too so stay tuned after class and we will kind of tune in to what those of you who are there live have to share if you have strategies that we don't come up with or things that we don't think about in terms of ways to make things happen because adversity sometimes makes us creative (laughs) at least that's been my experience and you sometimes need to find creative solutions to modify things to make them work well for you or sometimes you don't (laughs) sometimes something's just easy you don't necessarily think that it's easy or know that it's easy so you automatically think something is stigmatized by the fact that you can't see to do it and that isn't necessarily the case and that's possibly a controversial stance, but I really have found it to be true, and I will discuss it more (laughs) as we move through. For instance, you may be thinking, well, if I'm doing my laundry and I'm trying to know if my stuff's clean, I can't do that because I can't see it. Well, that's not exactly true. So there are lots of strategies that may help you with that concept and figuring out for yourself how that's going to work so it should be a very interesting class it's something a little different and y'all know we don't mind going where no one else has gone before in terms of having these really frank discussions and we know that's why a lot of you show up so thank you and come and share with us in addition to what we have to share with you
1: the class will be held on october 29th at 8:30 p.m eastern time speaking of classes Because of our Orbit Reader class that we recently had, there were a couple of people who were asking if we were going to record the Q&A section. And they were confused because we just made our announcement that we weren't gonna record those anymore or edit them and put them up. The short answer is, For free classes, we will no longer be recording the questions and answers and editing them. For the paid classes, which are classes that people have invested in, absolutely we will record those questions and answer sessions and add them to the product. Because you purchase the product, you have access to those questions that Maybe you purchased the product, but you couldn't make it live. I know quite a few people did that. They purchased it because they wanted the recordings, and they were totally entitled to get those recordings. So just to sum it up, free classes, no questions, paid classes, questions.
0: And of course, because we made this rule, we could choose to break it every now and again. But that may happen, and we don't know when or if that may happen for free classes. There may be a time when a question is so good that we end up including it after the fact, but that's probably going to be the exception and not the rule. So generally speaking, if you download a class from here on out on our free downloads page and you go into the events category of the page, you will find classes that have no questions. So that's just something to know. Of course, you've invested your time and energy by showing up and coming live and we always appreciate that and as a result of that you get to come hang out you get to hang out at our after party we get to have a lot of fun and it's really a much more stress-free environment for all of us as long as y'all can keep up really good etiquette and be polite and nice to each other and trying to talk over each other it is all good and we can just open things up as much as possible after class and let those of you who want to unmute and talk do so and that can lead to some really great discussions as we have learned many many times in the past because y'all are a great group so we want to make that option available and in some ways that's way more fun than Q&A anyway so, and it's a different way of doing it it's a completely different experience so we hope you guys will like this change always your feedback is appreciated if it's something you like if it's something you hate let us know but I really think that this will only broaden and accentuate the discussions that we have and make things much easier and more convenient for everybody and allow everyone to get the classes much sooner.
1: Do you know what's coming up? Halloween? After Halloween.
0: Election Day?
1: After Election Day.
0: (laughs) Thanksgiving?
1: After Thanksgiving. (laughs) What? (laughs) Black Friday.
0: Oh, yes! Black Friday is coming, too!
1: It is. Yay! We're going to make an announcement here, and that is that we will be having one of our open houses on Black Friday. We don't have the times set up just yet. Had I
0: to guess, it would be 1 to 5. More than than likely, yes. That's probably what we're going to do.
1: So we just wanted to let you all know that that's going to be a thing, and we always have fun at these open houses and these are just times for anybody to come stay as long as you want or as little as you want and just hang out and do whatever you know you want to do
0: and after the open house chris and i are entitled to nice long siestas because it is a labor of love (laughs) to put these things together and really just a lot of fun for all of us to come and hang out there are some announcements i'd like to make at this one as well if you are a regular we'd love to have you and if you're new we'd love to have you too come hang out with us and we'll get more details out there to you and we've got a couple podcasts well we've got at least a podcast left to announce it. We'll let y'all know for sure and it will definitely be up everywhere publicly for you to see it and find it. So Black Friday! Yay! We can all hang out and we can bounce in and out to take your orders as well if you would like to place orders over the phone for all the Black Friday goodies that you know are coming. So we would love to have you stay tuned and we will let you know all about it when we
1: have the information ready. Now let's go back in time a little bit Okay, we're going to go from November back to October. The thing that we wanted to remind you of is the coupon ghost is still available until October 31st, And that gives you 10% off of almost everything. Almost everything. (laughs) Yeah, a couple of things are excluded, such as the inside one and the blind show phone
0: yes so otherwise come hang out and make a purchase and save some cash and this is again good only through the end of day Saturday October 31st and of course if you want to use it via phone call us make sure you give us the code ghost and we will make sure you get your 10% savings now let's go back a moment to events and talk about a new yes another one change the zoom was implemented
1: yes I don't remember the exact date but Your Zoom meetings have to have at least one of two things enabled, and that is a passcode and a waiting room. You, as the host, set up what you want it to to be. So what we're going to do moving forward is we're going to have a passcode and the waiting room on our meetings, our events. Now,
0: let's tell you what brought us to that decision. We initially were very happy with just having waiting rooms, but there's a significant problem with it. If you are coming into a paid event and you come into a waiting room and you're late, we might not see you in there. We certainly tried during the course of our last orbit event to make sure everybody got in successfully and
1: that we admitted you. So you can't turn off the waiting room like you used to be able to do. If you just had the waiting room enabled, you could turn it off and then people could come in and go as they please. If you were to drop off the call and then come back in, you would be placed in the waiting room as well. If you have a password or passcode on your meeting, then you can turn off the waiting room. If people come and go with the waiting room enabled, then they are placed back in the waiting room and they would need to be readmitted into the meeting.
0: And if you're playing a presentation, this is particularly hard when you're doing so with a screen reader because the presentation comes through essentially at the volume of your screen reader. And yes, you can duck it, but that leads to its own set of problems. It makes it very difficult, even if you're not the one actually playing the presentation, so you can actually go in and find the person and readmit them. It's still kind of a difficult thing to do while you've got background playing in the background. And with focus issues, in addition to that, it's a little dicey, or it can be.
1: Right. In our Orbit event, we had two people admitting people from the waiting room, and one was actually missed. One was, And we don't out. know how we did it. And we right. talked
0: about it afterwards, and we said, How? heck did we do that <laughs> and we still don't know how we did it because both of us were looking regularly so these things do happen and that's what we don't want i really wish there was still an admit all feature There is, it is
1: but it's only for those people that are in the waiting room so if you have 10 people in the waiting room there is an admit all so you can admit those people but the next person that comes in is bounced into the waiting room and they're still there and they're still there
0: so this is a more expedient thing for us And we know it's an extra step for you guys, but the good news is, if there is such a thing, is that we can create our own passwords. So we're gonna make something that means something to Mystic Access listeners, and those of you who hang out around us, that won't necessarily be something that anybody would guess. (laughs) That's what we don't want to do.
1: Right, and it's not really a big deal because the password can be embedded in the link. So if you use the link to join, you're not gonna know any better.
0: Yeah, it won't matter. Now, if you call on a phone-
1: That won't matter either.
0: So that's another good thing to know. So. You're only going to need to know
1: it. If for whatever reason you use the history, if you drop out and then come back in and want to use the history, that's really the only reason why you would really need to know the password.
0: So we will make it something that you can memorize. So don't worry about that part. And those of you on the events list will get a note fairly soon and let you all know what the password is. And unless we have a problem, we'll keep the password the same for all free events. That is just something important that you guys need to know about Going forward, that is a new thing that we are now doing. We do not want people left out.
1: So the next thing we're going to talk about is the Orbit class that we had just kind of mentioned in passing. It was on October 8th and October 15th, and it was a success. Everybody who was part of the live event has received an email telling them to go get their product. It is in their account.
0: And many of you already have.
1: (laughs) And many. Oh, I was looking at the logs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So good for you.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And
0: for anyone curious, we did get over our 50 registrants that we initially said we wanted. So that worked out great, too. That was a fun thing. We were happy about that. We're glad so many of you came and that so many of you liked it. It was really nice to meet some new people. So we hope you will come to another event that we offer at some point in future or otherwise hang out with us and learn more about what we do but it was great it turned out really nice and I think we were all very pleased with how it turned out
1: and we had pulled the orbit class down because of registrations because of the live class and now I'm proud to say that it is up you'll find it in the braille display audio tutorials category which makes sense
0: Yes, and you've got more than 45 minutes more content than you did with the original Orbit tutorial. So, that's nice. We got some nice questions. We got some extra content. We got some stuff about Ryder. Just turned out really nice. And it
1: is called Reading Easily and Affordably with Orbit Products.
0: Yes, that will get you there. And you can find it and you can learn more about it. And I will certainly link to it in the show notes. But thank you so much to those of you who came live and made it such a success. We certainly appreciate that and hope you enjoyed the content. Speaking of enjoying content, before we close the announcements portion of today's show, let's give you a little maintenance reminder.
1: When you purchase a product from Mystic Access, it is not going to be on the free downloads page. So what you would do is you would sign into your account and go to downloads. And when you go to downloads, you're gonna find a couple of things pertaining to the product of purchase. Let's take the Orbit tutorial, for example. You're gonna find a link back to the product. Then you're also gonna find a link to the DAISY zip file. You're gonna find another link to the MP3 zip file. And you're also going to find a link to the resources list that Lisa prepared for us. That is a text file. So you'll find three links that are of importance, and those are your downloads. But sometimes what people do is they get frustrated because they go to the downloads link, and then they find the product, which then takes them back to the product. So you want to make sure that you don't click that product link. You really want the links with the .zip or in this case, .txt file names in the link and not the actual product itself.
0: So remember, if you need to download something you just purchased, or if you need to order and you're going, why is this not working? Log into your account first. It's just a good rule of thumb. Go to the account link. It's near the top of the page. You can log in. If you have never ordered before and this is your first order, you will not be logging into an account first. You do not have an account. So you will create your account upon your first order. Then after that order, you can then download your products. Just keep in mind there is a difference between the free downloads page and the downloads page that you access via your account portal,
1: as it were. If you are on the website and you're not logged into an account, you won't even see the downloads link. As a matter of fact, if you're not in your account portal, you won't even see the downloads link. So you have to go to the account first, and then you'll see, like, payment methods, downloads, order history. order history, and all that good stuff that pertains to an account. I think we've said this before, and it bears repeating, that if you have not purchased from us, you do not have an account, there's no reason to have an account unless you have an order history or transaction history with us.
0: Yep. That's why we got rid of guest accounts long ago, for that reason. If you want to keep up with us, join one of our newsletters, which is completely different than having an account. So if you aren't ready to order yet and you still want to know what we're up to, that's the best way to go. So, Chris, Amazon had a big day last week as of the recording of this podcast, or actually a big two days last week. You didn't have to order anything, did you? Uh, possibly. <laughs> it didn't have an A-L-E-X-A in it, did it? It did. Oh, he's done it again, folks.
1: My mother is a bad influence.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. She is.
1: She called me up and she said to me, I want to get your father a show ten for Christmas. Can I do it? I said, no, because you don't have Prime. Me being the nice, wonderful son that I am, I told her to send me the money and I will pay for the Echo Show because it was $80 off, which was quite a nice cut in price. I want to say it was regular $229 and it went down to $150. So that's a significant amount of savings for somebody to save for the Echo Show. That is currently on its way to my mother. And for those of you that have been listening for a while, you know that I have the original Echo Show, which is a seven-inch Echo Show. It was the first one that actually had a screen. So I thought, well, I don't need nor I want a 10-inch show. So I thought, well, eight-inch show would be nice. And the eight-inch show was going for 64 bucks. So I said, well, that's kind of a price range that I can deal with. And my screen on my original Echo Show hasn't been the most responsive. I think it might even be cracked inside or something because it toppled off of a desk one too many times but i have the original echo show in my hand right now and if you feel along the top you've got your buttons your cam your camera on and off button then you've got volume up and down your camera on off is also power so if you press and hold it it'll turn it on that is also the microphone on off button so that's better to be described as the microphone on off button the Echo will say privacy mode enabled or privacy mode disabled. What's interesting about the 7-inch show, you would think that the 7-inch show was smaller than the 8-inch show. Well, if you thought that, you would be incorrect. So you've got the screen, which is 7 inches, and then you've got maybe a hands-width on the bottom, on the front face, that is speakers. And if you've listened to our unboxing of the echo show you'll know that i forgot to pull off the paper and i thought well this thing just sounds horrible it's because there was cellophane paper over the speakers and it's kind of like a house it kind of looks like a house or something if i put it next to the eight inch show it's probably two inches taller the eight inch show is maybe an inch wider from left to right. So what they've actually done is they've made some serious changes in how they're dealing with the real estate of the Echo Show. So the 8-inch Show does not have the speaker on the front. It has the speakers on the sides, and you can tell that it's stereo. It also has a switch. So you've got your power and your microphone on-off. Then you got volume down, volume up, and then you've got the switch. So that's different from the seven-inch show. If I flip the switch, it should say something. Let me see. Let me turn this up some. I thought I got this to work the other day where it actually announced the position of the switch.
2: 49 degrees.
1: But if you flip the switch to the right. I'm not sure why it's not doing it now, but if you flip the switch to the right, it closes a shutter over the camera. So if you don't want your echo to show the camera, or if you're using the show and tell feature and your switch is flipped to the right, she will actually remind you to flip the switch to the left so that she can see what's in front of her. It sounds a heck of a lot better. It gets a heck of a lot more volume, but I think for the prime day, deal it was worth the investment i could do things like the other one where i could say watch hulu and i can watch hulu on it i can view my or listen to my ring cameras or doorbells and stuff like that with the echo show so it's basically an upgraded model of the echo show
0: what i didn't realize though is the fact that you can actually go on websites that have video content like even though you can't watch youtube vids directly anymore you can still have it go to YouTube and then watch videos, but you have to like touch it to make that happen, but you can still do it.
1: Yes. Yeah, a lot of with the Echo Show, it's a touch interface. So if you're not within arm's length of your Echo Show, you might want to be, because it does things a little bit differently than a device without a screen because it's got the screened interface.
0: So for instance, what if you asked a lady about your daily deals?
1: What are my deals?
2: Here are your deals. The first one is HSI Ceramic Tourmaline Hair Straightener. It's $25.89 after a discount of $14.
1: That's it.
0: Now, if you actually want to explore that deal, you can touch the screen.
2: HSI Ceramic Tourmaline Hair
0: Straightener, 2 of
2: 12. Brock's Kitty Mix Variety Pack individually wrapped candies, 3 of 12.
1: I could get some Brock's candy. You could. I can. And the voice is a little bit faster than the echo voice because I changed voice views rate to be 1.5 times. I've started to listen to my podcasts (laughs) at 1.5 times now. I've noticed when listening to the same content that's at normal speed, it slows (laughs) down and I don't know if I can handle it. I've only
0: been complaining about that for about 10 years, so... It's about time you pay attention and decide hey this might be worth a try
1: the speakers sound really good when you are playing music with the echo show unfortunately it's not going to translate too well using the microphones that we No,
0: we have really good mics now in terms of noise cancellation so we mix whenever possible someone is at the front door you might want to go see who that is awesome
1: I shall return. Not only is she my music player and all that stuff, she's also my doorbell. (laughs) So that's about all I can say thus far from the Echo Show. It was a nice upgrade and we'll see.
0: Now, before we look at A-Lady completely, Chris just asked her a great question this morning and we thought we'd share it with all of you.
1: Do you wear a mask?
0: If I were
2: a human, I'd definitely wear a mask. It's an important way to protect yourself and others. If you need a mask, just ask me, how do you make a face mask?
1: How do you make a face mask?
2: According to the CDC, you can make a face covering with a bandana and two rubber bands. To do so, fold the bandana in half and turn its long side towards you. Fold the top of the bandana down and the bottom of the bandana up, dividing it into thirds. Place two rubber bands around the folded bandana towards its center. And space them about six inches apart fold each end of the bandana towards the center and tuck under the furthest rubber band for more information including instructions for other types of homemade face coverings visit cdc.gov
0: please just keep in mind that a face covering does not protect your face as completely as do most masks
1: and now on to the Mystic Access Magic Castle, and we are going to let the interview play. Welcome
0: to the Mystic Access Magic
1: Castle. We are here in the Mystic Access Magic Castle, and we have a couple individuals from Good Maps with us to talk about Good Maps Explorer. We have Mike May, and we have Jose, and I'm going to let Jose introduce himself so that I don't murder his name.
3: <laughs> Thanks, Chris. It's Jose Gastambide, founder and CEO at Good Maps.
1: Awesome. So, why Good Maps? What is Good Maps?
3: Yeah, yeah, great question. So, Good Maps is a digital mapping platform that was really created in order to allow accessible navigation. When we were created by the American Printing House, our mission was to really make a big improvement in accessible navigation. And the first thing we realized was, there are no maps of the indoors. And if we're gonna make any building accessible and make it so that somebody blind or visually impaired can independently navigate wherever they want, we had to make a really big impact on indoor mapping. And so we're using LIDAR and image recognition to do that. And that's how Good Maps was born.
1: So for GPS, for outdoor, you have GPS, for indoor, you have to map the buildings at least. How does that work?
3: Yeah, exactly. So one of our team members, one of our mappers would walk into a building wearing a LiDAR backpack. It looks a little bit like the Ghostbusters backpack. And when they walk through a building, they are using lasers to collect an outline of the building and simultaneously connecting images of that building. Then when they're done, we process that and turning it into floor plans. We name the rooms, we name the points of interest like water fountains and restrooms and information desks. And when somebody who's using our application walks through that building, they would then have access to all of that spatial information, either being made aware of what's around them as they walk by it, or really getting turn-by-turn directions to a specific destination that they're looking for. To your point, Chris, you know, GPS works fairly well in outdoors. It's not perfect, but it gets you what you need. GPS doesn't work indoors, and so we've been developing an indoor positioning system that gets the accuracy that people need in order to really trust their tools. And so we've got this new camera-based system that gets between a meter and a meter and a half of accuracy for people as they're navigating indoors when compared to about five meters of accuracy when you're using Bluetooth beacons. So just really an incredible improvement in accuracy, and we're doing it without installing anything in the building no infrastructure that has to be installed or maintained. So a really big step forward for accessible navigation.
1: Yeah, I've worked with some prototype products where you had your Bluetooth beacons or you had Wi-Fi within the building and then you had maps. So if I were to walk into a building and I wanted to go to the water fountain or the restroom, then I could just plot a route giving me turn-by-turn instructions from where I am to that water fountain or restroom or what have
4: you. Yeah, Chris, the indoor POIs, like water fountains, work much the same way as they would outdoors. You pick one, and then the system plots the route for you. It gives you the turn-by-turn information, and that's what's somewhat different than the Bluetooth beacon systems you're talking about. They tended to be line-of-sight, so they would say, well, the water fountain is at 3 o'clock, 97 feet. And then if there was a wall in between, you would have to figure that out, how to get around it and work your way, which was still better than nothing. But this system will give you turn-by-turn turn directions to actually get you down an open hallway and navigate to that point-of-interest water fountain.
1: Yeah, and that makes the most sense. You don't want to go through a wall. That would be horrible. That would hurt way too much. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, I've used just a little bit of my background, I know Mike knows this, but I've used GPS outdoors for almost 20 years now. 2002 when the BrailleNote first had the Sendero GPS on it and I was one of the first people who actually bought the product and I've used it ever since. I mean that type of GPS you know when you evolve going from a note to an iPhone and stuff like
4: that. Yeah there's some wonderful recordings of Chris thumping down the street in Buffalo Uh-oh. Getting to the local mall and describing the play-by-play as he whacks the garbage cans with his cane <laughs> and comes to the intersections. Hey, there's a really nice
1: thing where there was somebody's wind chimes that I did manage to record. I mean, that, turned out, that turned
4: out really well. You shouldn't have your cane that high up in the air. No, no you totally
0: shouldn't. Should not. <laughs> Slapping somebody's chimes. You never know what those are. If those were crystals, somebody's going to be upset with you.
4: So
1: Kim had an interesting question when we were talking earlier before the recording started and her question was more or less for outdoor gps how do you know when a street is a street versus a point of interest
4: for outdoors yes they're all data points so really it's in the way that they're displayed so it's everything in the world is boiled down into a lat and an x y coordinate and of course indoors now you have a z coordinate as well. So the streets, though, are made up of a succession of points, of geographic points, whereas a point of interest technically would be just one spot. And the same thing, if you want to confuse things even further, you can talk about waypoints, which tend to be the pieces or the bits that make up a route.
1: Right. So going from point A to point B to point C, when you're plotting a route is a waypoint. So when you're talking now about indoors, you still have the waypoint method where you're still walking from one. You're getting from point A, that might be a turn, to point B, which might be another turn. It's going to
4: tell you to turn left or turn right. And then point C might be your destination. Fortunately, it's not that complicated for the user. They don't really have to think about it. They're just listening for what is the next turning instruction right exactly So and that's
0: where i get bogged down i don't want to necessarily know all the technical jargon that's happening to me i just want to get from point a to b to c and find out what's happening but what i found really fascinating about the indoor piece of this is the fact that if this ended up somewhere like some sort of historical heritage site or something if you were able to put it in places like that i could see some really neat possibilities for okay on your left is this that Explains this or describes this, or you know, have some descriptive something there that will allow you to know, give you an idea as to how to most successfully navigate or get where you want to go in a position like that or a building like that. Seems kind of interesting. I'm looking at some interesting pieces that one could possibly do with that.
3: Yeah, Kim, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. That's a great observation. It's one of the things that we can do by not just being an accessible navigation company, but by being a mapping company, that's the kind of enhanced data that we can bring to the navigation experience. So imagine that you are in a museum, for example, if we were just a navigation company, we'd be able to bring you from the entrance to the exhibit that you're looking at. But by controlling the mapping data and the entire back end of information, We can also provide you with audio information on the exhibit or a video on the exhibit or on the author or connect you to social media of what people are talking about, either within the museum or about that particular artist or that particular exhibit. So there's a lot of really interesting things that we can do to make the experience more rich beyond just you've arrived at your destination, let you explore that destination and how other people are engaging with it. Yeah, I like that.
0: I hadn't even thought of the social media piece of it. But yeah, that's a great little piece that you can add on there to just enhance the experience further.
4: And fortunately, we don't have to create that content. It's out there. But the magic, to keep to the theme of your podcast, the magic is really in that we pull together those databases and use those geo-reference points to say, this is the cool thing that's here. And that applies to indoors and outdoors. If you're going down a highway and you hear about the XYZ historical site, you wonder, what is that? What is that name? What is it about? And if you want, you can drill down into the content just by hitting, you know, the details button.
5: Yeah, that's
0: really
1: nice. Can you virtually explore? I know that's a big thing for some of the GPS applications. Can you virtually explore in places that you've
4: already mapped
1: with good maps?
4: Absolutely. That's the beauty of today's world. You can travel without going anywhere.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, with the pandemic that
4: we're in, yeah. That's a
0: great idea. Yeah, right. (laughs)
4: Yeah, no, there's a specific virtual tab. There's a look around tab in the app and the ability to virtually go somewhere. And right now, there aren't a lot of buildings mapped. So that's the way a user can experience what will happen in a building once I get my local hotspots mapped. They can virtually go to one of the buildings in Louisville and see how it'll work virtually. And of course, they can do that outdoors virtually as well. It's a good idea to have an idea of your surroundings before you actually go out and navigate and, you know, in an active environment with all your mobility stuff going on.
3: Yeah. And to build on that, the current version of that virtual experience is really driven by the user. They can select the building and then kind of explore as they wish. But one of the things that we're doing is giving the venue owners more control over what that virtual experience and that virtual touring looks like. So you can imagine a museum not wanting you to just plop in, but actually curate that experience. Where does a person start? Where do they walk through a space? Or maybe even divide it into different categories of a tour. So perhaps there's an impressionist wing and you really want to focus there. And there's a you know, more modern wing and that could be a separate experience. So more curating that experience for the visitor which is so important today in particular when so many people can't go into buildings and can't explore these really magnificent, wonderful indoor spaces.
1: Yeah, exactly. Today, you can't touch anything anymore. It's unbelievable what the whole pandemic has changed the way that we do things.
0: But Mm -hmm. that being said... I think because of that, there are virtual experiences coming about that we never would have dreamed about a couple of years ago. People and companies and musicians, museums are being so innovative now in terms of what you can do. So this is going to continue long, long, long after a pandemic has occurred. I mean, right. you're going to be seeing so much more virtual interaction with amazing places. I know that one of the things that impressed me during convention season was the ACB did a lot of virtual tours, the audio tours that they had recorded, and I think that's going to be so much more the norm, and it kind of goes into our discussion as well, in that you really are going to have the ability to essentially go anywhere from the comfort of your couch and learn a tremendous amount about places that you may never have the ability to go to in real life, pandemic or no pandemic.
1: Let's say that you have a job interview, too, at a certain spot. You can sit on your couch and you can go and virtually explore this place long before you even get there so you could know your way around.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. And Kim, I think your point is spot on. The current crisis is really accelerating the amount of resources that are going into virtual experiences. And I think that's really exciting for a number of reasons, but we just have to make sure that accessibility has a seat at that table. Because what you don't want is all these resources to go into accessibility. And then five years later, somebody says, hey, what about us? What about the blind or visually impaired user? We need to be in there from the ground floor from day one.
4: Yeah. And speaking of the ground floor, Chris, you mentioned going back to 2002. So, you know, we have experimented together with various indoor navigation systems, starting out with dead reckoning and then the talking lights and the Bluetooth beacons. And so one of the big questions today is, well, what is the accuracy like? And maybe even more important than the accuracy is, what is the reliability? I don't want to have 10-foot accuracy one minute and 50-foot accuracy the next. I can't depend on how I'm navigating indoors. So that's probably where one of the biggest breakthroughs in the Good Maps Explorer takes place.
1: How would that work? Let's say that you were in a store and they have different aisles, and you go in with your maps already preloaded, and then suppose that something happens and they have to rearrange the store, do you have to go and redo the maps themselves because maybe aisles have been changed around and stuff like that, or how would that work?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question. And something like what you're talking about is kind of the extreme case of what might test the camera-based positioning, because the images that the positioning system is relying on might not be the same as what's currently in the store. I think what I'll share is that the partner that we've been working with did their original set of scans around two and a half years ago and has not had to go back in and refresh any of those original scans. So we're pretty confident that the system will stand up even to environments that are consistently changing.
4: We really haven't explained what camera-based positioning is yet. So that's the breakthrough that makes the reliability and the accuracy a giant step forward. Jose, you want to do the reveal?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to. So when we walk into a building with the scanner, that Ghostbuster scanner that I was referencing earlier, we're taking those LIDAR point clouds, which is the laser measurements of the space, during a process that's called SLAM, Simultaneous Location and Mapping. But at the same time, we're taking a bunch of images and because the images are being taken during that mapping process, they're all geolocated. So it's not just an image, but it's an image with a set of coordinates associated with it. When somebody is navigating with our application at a certain cadence, you know, call it five seconds or 10 seconds, the app will take a screenshot of whatever it is that your phone is looking at. And it basically scrapes that image for a bunch of identifying characteristics you know, certain aspects of the architecture or angles or colors, and then it performs a match function with the images that were taken during the original scan when our team first went in there with the device, and it returns the closest approximation based on what it is seeing on your camera. And because those images are geo-referenced, it's not just, hey, here's the image, but it's also where was that image taken and what is your location? So we're able to get incredible accuracy. And by the way, that whole process I described takes about a quarter of a second. So it's all incredibly fast and incredibly reliable. So that's how we're able to identify where a person is within a space without having to use any beacons.
1: You did just actually answer a question that I was just about to ask, and I'll just say it anyway. And that is what happens if people are in the place when the mapping is going on. So the people that are being captured within the space, that shouldn't even matter. They're just insignificant.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. So if you perform a scan with people in the way, the scan actually removes those people. It's a de-ghosting function is what they call it. So that would never even show up in the list of images that are being referenced.
4: And then from the user side, your camera, in order to take advantage of this scraped information, your camera has to be exposed and picking up the local environment. So as a lot of people have gotten used to with Be My Eyes or Ira. obviously to get that assistance, you have to have your camera out. You would in this case as well, either having the phone on a backpack strap or around a lanyard or carrying it in your hand, pointing forward. And that's how the positioning is done. And it's using the
1: back-facing camera, I would assume, because the back-facing camera has better pixels and
4: all that stuff. Yeah. And you don't want your big head to get in the way of the information. Right.
3: And if you think about that, Chris, you know, I know from a user's experience, it's a little bit more work to make sure that your camera has access to the room around you. And to Mike's point, I think we're increasingly getting used to services that rely on that. But if you fast forward, you know, two years, three years, so many of the smart cameras or the smart glasses, you know, they're making a comeback and they're finding a way to really make the glasses sleek and make them feel less awkward to wear while also condensing a lot of really powerful sensors like LiDAR and like the cameras that we're describing. So I think within a couple of years, you're gonna see a massive increase in the number of smart glasses that are out there in use. And all of that technology, the stuff that we have developed is really meant to be future-proof and future-facing and taking advantage of what Apple and Google and Microsoft are all working on in terms of machine vision and camera-based sensors.
1: And the best place to have it is where your eyes are going to be. So if you have it on the glasses, then that makes the most sense because that's where your head would be pointing. Precisely. So, I'm on the APH Nearby Explorer mailing list, and there's a little bit of maybe confusion or what have you regarding Nearby Explorer and Good Maps. Can you clarify some of that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, Good maps is effectively going to be the sole accessible navigation tool that exists within the APH family. APH is no longer going to be supporting nearby Explorer, which means at some point there will be some kind of an update that occurs on the Apple side that will break nearby Explorer. And. We were created and we released our application to really take what APH has done and build on it. And right now that focus is primarily on some of the indoor navigation items that we've really spent a lot of time talking about. But within the near future, we're going to be releasing some outdoor navigation features that I think are going to be really, really exciting to folks. You know, I think we all kind of take for granted that GPS is kind of the best that we can do for indoor positioning. Well, I think some of the same positioning technologies that we're utilizing for indoor positioning, we're playing around with how to get those out and about for outdoor positioning. And so imagine that you can get that same meter, meter and a half level of accuracy in your outdoor navigation and don't have to rely on GPS and it's, you know, sometimes double digit meter level of accuracy. So I think users who are used to nearby Explorer are number one, going to notice a real streamlining of the experience. We really tried to simplify the experience and make it more intuitive for new users. And number two, see some updates come out that are going to fundamentally change how you navigate in the outdoors.
1: I think some of the cool things that I just had a thought of, if you're walking around outside and perhaps with the camera based image recognition and stuff that's going on these days, maybe you can have a description of what the camera sees. Like, for example, if there's a mailbox in front of you and you're about to hit it, maybe that could be, you know, those kinds of things or a park bench or something like that, where the system could even tell you. And this is just me talking. I don't know anything, but it's just thoughts.
3: No, Chris, you're exactly right. I mean, some of the things that we can do with camera-based systems, I think people are going to be really excited about. When we map a space, it's really just a snapshot in time. And if something changes within that space, that original scan can't really do anything to help you figure out how things have changed. But when you're dealing with camera-based sensors or even the LIDAR that we expect to see in some of the smart glasses, all of a sudden you can start filling in the gaps with some of the dynamic data around you. So for example, you walk into a meeting room, you know that there are table and chairs somewhere, but where are they and which of those chairs are available? Well, using the cameras and using the LIDAR, we're going to be able to tell you which chair is available and which chair you can sit down in. We're going to be able to tell you that there is a group of people coming up ahead of you. And if you want to avoid them, you know, you can steer, you know, a couple of feet to your left or a couple of feet to your right. There's so many things that we can do with camera-based systems that we can't do with the current technology. And that's a big part of the reason why we're leaning in so heavily to the camera and the LIDAR.
4: Yeah, I really look forward to the social distancing aspect of having a camera to avoid crowds. Be it make travel a lot more efficient.
1: Yeah, you're 12 feet away from this person that's in front of you or off to your side or whatever. That would be wonderful.
0: It also opens up the world even more significantly because you do have all this dynamic content that you wouldn't have had any other way unless you were sitting there talking to someone who could see it through your phone, such as an IRA agent or something like that. You've now opened up an entirely different depth of these items that you're passing or seeing or these people who are standing over there and you know you may have been wanting to meet up with a group of people and suddenly now you know where your people are so I mean it just opens up things so tremendously in such a dynamic way that I think people would just thoroughly thoroughly enjoy it.
4: You know in terms of the nearby features I mean Jose said we're going to be releasing some things and adding to the outdoor navigation and certainly from my perspective I'm Pretty tuned in to all the cool things that are out there. And, you know, looking at what's been done in Nearby and Seeing Eye and Blind Square and Lazario and the number of apps go on. I think we really want to cherry pick the best features. And part of that process of picking what to add, because you can't put everything in, part of that is user feedback. So people should get the app download it, let us know what their favorite features are that they want to have implemented, and this app will really be a result of user input as it goes forward.
1: One more question, if I may. Is there going to be an Android app?
3: Yeah, great question. We are working on it as we speak. It will be out at the very latest by the end of this calendar year, 2020. Uh, My team tells me it might even be closer to Thanksgiving. So, you know, I think everybody deserves to have access to this technology and having an Android version was a priority for us.
1: I think sometimes we all forget that there are Android users out there. And as a person who puts their toes into both platforms, you just want to make sure that something like that is available. And that's great news to hear, too.
4: It's also a very vocal minority. Yes. <laughs> and we look forward also to expanding into other countries, first other English-speaking countries and then beyond.
1: And
0: there's where Android will be of great help because there is such an Android presence in other countries that aren't the U.S. So that'll be helpful. Right.
3: That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, Chris, along those same lines, I think something that's really important for people to understand We are very much a rising tide lifts all boats kind of company. And as I mentioned earlier, when we started this process, we realized that there were no indoor maps and that that was a major bottleneck in accessible navigation. Well, now that we're in the process of collecting or creating those maps, We think it's our responsibility to share those maps with other accessible navigation apps. I think it would be unethical to collect those and then to force people to use our accessible navigation application in order to actually engage with them. And so in early 2021, we're going to be making those maps available to other accessible navigation apps for them to put in front of their people because people deserve choice and people deserve the ability to dictate how they engage with this critical mapping data. And we hope that people will love Good Maps Explorer, but we also recognize that people are tied to some of the tools they're already using. And our hope is that they'll be able to access our maps through those same tools.
0: That's really fantastic. Speak a bit more, if you will, because I'm kind of curious about this piece, about the map collecting process. How does that work? How do you say, okay, here's a great spot that we should map? How does that process work?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So ultimately it's up to the venue and the venue has to invite us in. And there is a cost associated with the creation and the maintenance of the maps, but it's pretty straightforward. They bring us in, we send a mapper, we do that mapping. The mapping is pretty quick. We take anywhere between about 30 minutes and an hour and a half, depending on the size of the space to walk through and actually collect the data that we need to create the maps. About a week after that, we have the skeleton of the map ready to go. And then we just need to populate with the relevant information. The name of a room or the name of a POI. We confirm all the data is accurate, and then we publish the map and the map is ready to go. If that venue owner decides that they want to put it on other available mapping platforms, we have export functions to OpenStreetMap, Google Map, Apple Maps, and hopefully down the line, Microsoft Azure Maps. And then at that point, that venue owner has access to the Good Maps portal. And if things change on their end, They're able to go in and uh, with a really easy, really straightforward, really intuitive system, change the information that is in their maps or define routes if they're looking for, you know, some kind of a virtual touring experience. It's a really straightforward system.
0: Very cool. So if people wanna learn more, how should they do that?
3: Yeah, thank you for asking. So if you go to goodmaps.com, you can see all there is to see on the company, including where to find the application on the app store. If you wanna download it directly through the app store, Search for Good Maps Explore. Good Maps, all one word. The app is free. It will always be free. And look for that Android version coming out by the end of the year.
1: Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. We've really enjoyed it.
3: Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Kim.
1: Thank you
4: both.
0: Thank you for your visit to the Mystic Access Magic Castle. You're welcome
5: anytime. Uh
0: I know you were afraid I was going to be bored in that interview because GPS isn't necessarily my thing. But I really thought it was
1: fascinating. Yeah, so did I. And how timely. The iPhone 12 Max (laughs) has LiDAR in it, which is kind of cool.
0: (laughs) So on that note, thank you guys, as always. If you don't know already, most of you will probably be able to calculate when our next podcast (laughs) comes out. And we will try to provide you a little bit of, if not levity, at least something fun to do on that day. So stay tuned, uh, US listeners and all the rest of you as
5: well. See you. you in two weeks.
1: Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye.
5: The preceding podcast is a presentation of Mystic Access, where the magic is in learning. If you are blind or visually impaired and desire to discover how our comprehensive products and services may support and empower your assistive technology journey, we welcome your visit at www.mysticaccess.com. Have a question or wish to place an order via phone? Call us at 716-543-3323. If you have something to share about this podcast episode, press 4 to reach our Mystic Access podcast comment line. Email us at info at mysticaccess.com. Connect with us on Twitter at twitter.com slash mysticaccess. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mystic access empower. Would you like to spread the word about our podcasts? Your friends and colleagues may listen and subscribe at www.mysticaccesspodcast.com. If you enjoy our episodes, consider leaving us an iTunes rating and review. Your comments are greatly appreciated. Thanks for spreading the word, and thanks for being a listener. We hope you enjoyed this episode.